guess I'm up. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea. We're going to look at chapter 10 in the book of Hosea. And it is good to be here with you once again. I thank you for keep, keep inviting me back. Uh, get to see a lot of old friends and some new ones as well. So we look forward to what God has this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, this morning as we open your word, we come with anticipation, we come with excitement, we come with the, the desire to know you a little bit more, and we thank you. I pray as we prepare to hear from you, not me, but the words that you have put in my mouth and on my heart, that we'd be able to put away the distractions, the the cares, the concerns for these next few moments, and just be able to focus on you and your love for us, O oh Lord. I thank you. Prepare our hearts even now as we prepare for communion, that all of it will bring glory and honor to you. And we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. We're going to look at chapter 10, and in the book of Hosea is a book of a prophet. Um, it was around the years of 752-722 B.C. Uh, when he prophesied. And like most of the prophets in the Old Testament, it wasn't always good, the message that they had. Okay? Even today, today we don't have prophets to foretell. A prophet today is considered one who would foretell. In other words, preach the word, what God has already given us, because he hasn't given us new words. But did you ever notice that when somebody says, this is what the Lord says to me, you kind of go, okay. You're cautious, right? You're, you're kind of like, okay, where's this person come from? Unless you know them well enough to know that they're not somebody that's uh, out there or, or you know, doing something that, cause them to have this dream or whatever. But imagine what it have been like for the prophet to tell in the Old Testament what's going to happen, and this is going to happen. To tell them it's not good news that they're going to hear. The prophet Hosea, throughout this book, there's, there's times of judgment that he's going to pronounce on the Israel. This is the northern kingdom that he, he's going to give the prophecy to, the, the northern ten tribes, that after they broke up the, the division, the northern ten tribes, they kind of drifted away from God. And even though they're God's people, God kept trying to call them back, calling them back to him. And doesn't he do that today? I just finished up. I, I meet with a group of men on Wednesday mornings, and we just went through Hosea. And it's kind of like we don't get real deep, but we skim the top. But there's, there's seven of us, and we come from different backgrounds. And, and you get different perspective of how they feel or what they think God's Word saying. And when they get too far one way, I try to reel them back in and say, nah, this is kind of what God's saying here. 
you know. Um, it's in a Presbyterian church, but I don't hold that against them. Uh, godly, godly people live there. In fact, my good friend, bless his heart, he, he's really instrumental in getting me into the ministry, and he attends there, and, and I appreciate his love for the Lord, and I know he's a solid believer in Christ. But we look at this, and and in our conversations, man, we were always, when we went through this book, boy, you could you could replace some of this where it says Israel, and replace that to America, to this country, to this world today, where we stand, where we are. I mean, come on, we all look around us and, and we see, you hear the expression and and we're not the same that we were 50 years ago or 20 years ago. Okay, so times change. We know that. But one thing doesn't change, and that is God. One thing, that, another thing that doesn't change is His love for you and I. Something else that doesn't change is what He requires of each and every one of us in our relationship to Him. And we're going to get down through this verse by verse here, these 15 verses, and you're going to see that, wait a minute, is God speaking to me today? Is He speaking to the church? You know, it's always easy when you're sitting here in a sermon or a message from God, and you're going to say, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message. Or hear what God's saying. This is, boy, this is speaking right to them. But just remember, when you point the finger at somebody else, somebody's pointing back at you. And so we've got to take it all in stride. And we've got to look at it not only on a personal level, but on the church level and even as a national level. And what we see here is, is Hosea calling to the people of Israel, listen you better take note. Take an assessment of where you're at. And that's what we're going to do today is take an assessment of where we are. And as I said, if you look back in the, in the previous chapters and in this book, you'll see that, that Hosea has told them what they've done wrong, where they've gone astray. And he's accusing them basically of their relationship with God is strained. And if they don't change, it'll be severed. He says not only were they committing idolatry in the physical, natural way, but they were also committing spiritual adultery. And he says they both go against God's law when, when we break, break it knowingly in our hearts. It hardens our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, when we sin, and it always starts out small. Oh, man. But the problem is we never come back to that full place to God. Where we were. We allow that sin, oh, oh, I sinned, I come back. Stray again and, and I come back. I stray again and I come back. You see, it keeps causing us to go further away from God. 
unless we keep our focus, unless we keep going daily back to God, which is what He created us for, we slowly drift away. And that's what happened to Israel. You know, they may be, sin may be, begin with, it looks pretty good, it, okay, but I enjoyed it. It gives us a false sense of satisfaction. Because when you take away from God, it never completely satisfies. Sin will begin with diverting our affections towards Him to things of this world. So we can see a lot of parallels between Israel and ourselves if we're willing to take that look. So let's go down through it and, and just imagine being assessed by God. What if God would say to you today, I'm going to do an assessment of your life. Would you run and hide? Would you say, um, Lord, can you give me a week or two here? A couple things I need to get squared away. Where would you stand? Would you be able to say, yes, Lord, look at my heart. God said to Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The Lord searched the heart and examined the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deed deserved. And let me tell you this, so you don't feel like, oh, he's, he preaches pointing his finger at me. We're all that way. God knows our hearts. And it's deceitful. Only God can cure it. So in Hosea 1, it says, How precious Israel is a, lux- is a luxuriant vine loaded with fruit. But the richer the people get, the more pagan altars they build. The more bountiful their harvest, the more beautiful their sacred pillars. You see, what Hosea was trying to say is, Israel, look, God has blessed you. You know, go back to when, when God, Moses was taking them into the promised land. He says, I'm going to give you a land of milk and honey, filled with milk and honey. He says, you're going to go into land filled with houses that you're going to take that you didn't build. Grapevines that you're going to harvest that you didn't plant. Wells you're going to drink of and water your cattle and livestock with that you didn't dig. But remember this. Where that all came from. I look at us today. We live a very affluent life. In, in the world's standards, we're probably in the richest 20% of the world's population. Sure, we may say, well, I'm not that rich. I'm, I'm just barely making ends meet. Yeah, but in the world's standard, you have a house over you, a roof over your head. You have clothes. You have car, you have food. You know, I I have enough food. Hey, watch it. <laughs> I resemble that remark. 
But you see what I'm saying? We are blessed. And we as parents, when we raise our kids and and raise our children, we want to do right for them. We want to give them and provide for them, right? What parent doesn't? So we give them things that, that we didn't necessarily have when we grew up. You know, I look today, most houses have soda or pop, if you're from western Pennsylvania, um, in the refrigerator. You know what my luxury drink was as a kid growing up on the farm? You got it. You got it. Remember the packets you could buy of all the different flavors? You know, I always liked to go on the grocery shopping with mom so I could pick the flavors I like. Grape and cherry. But to me, a treat was when I went out to some with someone's house. And I remember this one gentleman we went to go to, and we would go to his house, and he had an old player piano down in the basement, which I loved to get out and play with. I mean, he had a refrigerator, and it was stocked full of Lehigh grape and orange drink. And I'm like, wow, and I can have this, you know. To me, that was, that was something special. I remember as a kid, because I grew up on a farm, and, and we didn't have a lot. Okay? But we had the essentials. We'd go out, which we didn't very often do, to a restaurant, and, and I'd hear my cousins or aunts or say, Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order a steak. I'm like, Why? I have steak every night. We lived on a farm. We butchered our own meat, okay? So you had that. So we get kind of accustomed to what we have, and, and we take it for granted. And that's what uh, Jose is trying to point out here. He's saying, listen, Israel, you're forgetting where all this comes from. In Deuteronomy 8, again, Moses says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on an oath to your forefathers. Remember the land of milk and honey. But get a load of this in chapter 9 and verses 4 and 6. He says this. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of the land because of my righteousness. You see, God knows our hearts. God knows that when when He gives us up, when He blesses us, we almost feel entitled. Oh, I must. God really loves me, you know. And we think higher of ourselves than we ought to. But God's saying, yes, I want to bless you. I want to give this to you. But remember who gave it to you. Different times in Scripture, God will say, oh, what? You think it's because of your works? Because it's something you did? What Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy. We're all sinners. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, I know what I ought to do, and I want to do those things that God wants me to do, but, but I can't. I do the things that I don't want to do. You ever feel that way? Man, we, we struggle with that. And here's Paul, the, the great, great apostle, and he says, man, I struggle with this. 
See, things haven't changed. Even when Christ came to earth and walked, the Israelites, the Levites, the Jews, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, what did he call them? You stiff-necked bunch of people. Because we get so caught up in ourselves and thinking more of ourselves than we ought to. In verse 2, it says, The hearts of the people are, my verse says, fickle, which is in the NIV, it's uh, deceitful, which means divided. They are guilty and must be punished. The Lord will break down their altars and smash their sacred pillars. That word divided was usually used, the common word used in dividing up of land. But a divided heart is a deceitful heart because it pretends to belong to God when it really does not. The heart has a slippery slope when we allow sin and when we allow that divisiveness to happen. It's like walking in a, a mountain stream and you slip on the stones. They're not very smooth or very rough. You don't get your traction. You know, when our hearts are divided, we're going to go towards the, to the world, what the world wants of us. It's our human nature. We're deceitful to ourselves. We're divided. And what greater toll than Satan uses even in the church today, to, if I can divide this church on a stupid little issue. That's another victory for him. Because what's that do? That causes this person that's on the phrase to say, wow, if the church is going to do that to their own, I'm not going there. I'm not going to church. Satan causes that little bit of doubt, that deceitfulness, that dividedness, to bring us down. And that's what he's saying here. Hosea is saying, you are deceitful. You have allowed all this to take place. He says God was going to smash your adulterous idols. In one way or another, God's going to take what belongs to him. You know, he said to the Israelites, you know, you keep the Sabbath and it will go well with you. But they failed to keep the Sabbath. And what, what did they do? They went into captivity for 70 years. I tell my kids, and they, they look at me and say, yeah, right, Dad. But you know, when we keep back our tithe from God or our service to God, something that God has called you individually to do, when you don't give it back and you're saying, ah, this week's a little tough, I'm not going to give it, Lord. The Lord's going to take it. You may be going along, and I know things are tough, but, but God's testing you, and he's saying, I, not this week, Lord, I've got to keep it. And won't you know it, the, the washing machine breaks. Or the refrigerator breaks, and, you, and you've got to get a new one. You've got to get a repairman. And I say, God's going to get it one way or another. You say, well, that's just a material thing. Doesn't God own everything? So when we hold back, God's going to get it. Whether it's your affection, whether it's your service with your hands, whatever you're doing, whatever God has called you to do, if you hold back, God's going to get what belongs to Him. And that's what they were afraid of. They were afraid that He's going to smash our altars. In verse 3, 
then they will say, we have no king because we didn't fear the Lord. But even if we had a king, what could he do for us anyway? They realize their futility of a self-appointed king. Remember when Samuel anointed Saul as king? Samuel was upset with God, to God, and he says, God, why are you giving this to them? God says, go ahead, anoint Saul. But they will realize that a human king is nothing like me. You see, we try to put kings and governments and man in front of God instead of relying and trusting on him. Wow, when are we going to wake up? When are we going to realize that there's only one God? Israel had sealed their own fate by virtue of their choice to trust an earthly king rather than an eternal king. In verse 4, the spout empty words and make covenants they don't intend to keep. So injustice springs up among them like poisonous weeds in a farmer's field. I wasn't picking on them, really. There were lawsuits among them over frivolous stuff. They were deceitful and dishonest. They couldn't even keep their promise. Have you made a promise to God and not kept it? You know, we come and eat, eat the bread and drink of the cup, and, and Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that we ought to examine our hearts before we eat the bread and drink of the wine or the cup. Do we have ought against somebody? Did we not forgive somebody? Did we promise someone something and not fulfill it? Instead, we get caught up in the frivolous stuff. All the lawsuits. It's like he says, the poisonous weeds spring up. When I grew up, I started working for a guy, uh, my old neighbor on a farm. And in the spring of the year, one of the jobs I didn't really like, but I knew why he had to do it. It was the time between, you know, you had the winter wheat coming on and hay wasn't quite ready to to be harvest yet. So it was before, you know, some of the planting was done, uh, the um, plowing and the harrowing and all that sort of stuff. When things were starting to get high and you look out across the field, do you ever look out across a, a oats field that's ready for harvest, you know, the golden color it is, and every so often you see this brown weed sticking up in it? Those are called docks. And they spread like wildfire. If you don't get rid of them, the next year your field will be overtaken by them. So every year, it was usually on a day that was wet that you couldn't do any other farming. We'd have to walk through the field and you'd pull up these weeds to get rid of them. If you don't get rid of them before they get too big, before they go to seed, you're okay if you get rid of them. If you don't, like I said, it can take over a whole field. It's not good for the cows, the cattle. They can't eat it. So you've got to get rid of it. And that's what Hosea is saying here. He says, look, and the injustice springs up among them, the lawsuits, like poisonous weeds in a farmer's field. 
People break their promises all the time. And you expect that from the world. But folks, as Christians, as believers in the Lord, your word is everything. Especially to the non-believer, to the world. Oh, they may play that on you. But know this. God will hold you to it. It's better to keep your word to God and be ridiculed by the world than to lie to God to fit in with this world. In verse 5, Israel was in love with their altars. It says the people of Samaria tremble in fear for what might happen to their calf idol at Beth Avon. The people mourn and the priests wail because his glory will be stripped away. Wow. A golden calf. An idol of a calf. Remember what happened back in 1 Samuel chapter 5? They had captured, the Samarians had captured, or the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant. And they took it back to their temple of their god, Dagon. And they stuck it in the the temple beside Dagon the first night. And they came back in the morning and Dagon was laying on the floor. How'd that happen? They set him back up. They go back the next day. And Dagon had fallen over. Only this time it broke the arms off and it broke the head off of their idol. You see, folks, no matter what we put as an idol in our lives, it doesn't compare to God. That Ark of the Covenant is just a box that kept the Word of God and it symbolized God and the Holy Spirit rested on that. No other idol, no other God can come close to it. No matter what you place before God and before Jesus in your life, it will not hold up. It could be your job, your car, your career, your whatever it is. I laugh and, and I sit and tell people and they, they say, oh, that ain't true. You know, you talk to people that are rich. They're really only one day away from being bankrupt. And I say, oh, no, if you plan... No, with the way the market is and the way society is, nothing guaranteed that you'll be rich tomorrow. So if you're putting your hope... and Trust me, don't say I'm not saying don't plan for your future. But are you relying on that instead of relying on God? That's a false idol. God can take it away. In in Hosea 4.16, they worshipped a heifer, so God called them a stubborn heifer. You know, I grew up and I was um, in 4-H. I raised baby beef. And one year, I had a reserve grand champion. Okay? But that was the most ornery, stubborn beef I had. And I was in it for like six years. Even though it got me reserve grand champion. I remember one time that the thing would get in its mind, every day after school, I would come home, I would have to walk it for about a mile one way and then bring it back. A, to 
you know, give a good muscle tone, and B, to teach it to be able to be led as you get in the ring to show it, okay? Well, a couple times it take off on me. Well, the one time it took off on me, and I was a little puny kid, okay? Not much weight to me, and now this beef is probably 600 pounds, maybe 800 pounds, and uh, he decided he was going to take off, and me like a silly, you know, cartoon, I held on to the halter, and I got drug across two gravels driveways through the yard and out into the middle of the field before my hand let go. I got up and had gravel in my teeth, dirt and gravel in my belt buckle, and we finally caught him again. Oh, I was so mad at that thing. And that was the one that got me reserve grand champion. But I know what it's like to, to have an animal like that that's stubborn that you really had to get its attention sometimes to be able to do with it what you wanted. And I look at this, and the Lord calls him a, a stubborn heifer. I can relate to that in real time. But Israel's gods would be defeated in verse 6. In verse 7, it says, Samaria and its king will be cut off, and they will float away like a driftwood on an ocean wave. They're going to be destroyed. You can look at it at your personal level. You can look at it at our nation. If we don't turn back to God, He's going to destroy us. If we don't turn back to God, God's got to apologize for Sodom and Gomorrah for destroying them. He's saying this to his people, Israel, the northern tribe, and even the southern tribe wouldn't listen to him. If he had to bring judgment on them, what makes you think we don't deserve punishment? Don't think we're more righteous than the rest of the world, because we're not. In verse 8, the pagan shrines of Avon, the place of Israel's sins, will crumble. Thorns and thistles will grow up around their altars. They will beg the mountain, bury us, and plead with the hills, fall on us. Remember what happened in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. John writes, They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come and who can stand it? You see, God already proclaims what's going to happen. And people, instead of turning to God, say, I'd rather die. They don't know what they're asking for. To spend eternity in hell? You want to do that? Instead of eternity with Jesus Christ. We've got to pay attention. Israel in verses 9 and 10 will now reap what they had sown. You may look at it and you may think you can get away with it for a while. Remember, God's slow to anger. But He will bring justice. We need to be looking at where we are. God made it clear that even though it would be another nation, Assyria, that would conquer Israel, just know this. God's behind it. 
we look around us in our world and Afghan and and in China and we we you know we fear as a nation China and Russia and just know this you may point the finger at a, an earthly object but God's behind it behind a nation that says you have a, a senator that stands up and and says. There is no room for God in these hearings. We'll take care of this. That's what's happening. That's what's going on in our, our Senate and our House of Representatives. They're trying to play gods that they're not. And in verse 10, Now whenever it fits my plan, I will attack you too. I will call out the armies of the nation to punish you for your multiple sins, or NIV says double sins. And there's some debate what this really means. But if you look at back in Judges 19 and 20, there was a, a Levite that went down and he married a, a woman. He brought her back to her house and, and she didn't like it. She went back to her father, and I think it was in Ephraim. And four months later, he goes down to bring her back. And on the way back, they were it was getting close to dark, so they came to the town of Gibeah. And they says, let's, let's stay here tonight. Well, they sat in the, the town square, and nobody would take them in. And finally, a man says, comes along and says, you don't want to stay here overnight. Please, come stay in my house. He goes, and he go, they go inside. They eat supper. All of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. And it was the men of the city came and say, we hear you got some guy visiting you. Send him out. We want to have our way with him. And I can never understand this in that culture. But, but the, the host says, oh, no, no, no. You really don't want to do that. But here's my daughter and here's his wife. Have them. I'm like, wow, I feel the love. And they raped them, they abused them, they beat them. And at daybreak, they threw them on the door. And when they went to leave, they were both laying there dead. So the Levite takes his wife, takes takes her home, and cuts her up into 12 pieces and sends a piece to every tribe and says, this is what the tribe of Benjamin did to my spouse. It was a reminder that says, are you going to allow this to happen? And that's what it's talking about here. The sin of that city. Those men wanted to do unlawful things. And that's the way they lived. Bethel was another place where they were worshiping idols, that they were worshiping the image of a crafted animal, but not the creator themselves. How they lived and how they worshiped God is the double sin it's talking about. Another view was the double sin is Israel forsaking God in the house of David. Either way, it's complete disobedience to God. So where does that bring us? In verse 12 it says this, Plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. 
Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to what? To seek the Lord, that He may come and shower righteousness upon you. You see, if we take a look, take an assessment of your life, where you are, and again, as we prepare our hearts to take communion, to eat the bread, it calls us to examine ourselves. Where are you today? What are you sowing in your hearts? Are you sowing righteousness? Not only sowing righteousness towards God, and we live in a life that's pleasing to God, but also to our mankind. Vertically and horizontally. Obedience is better than sacrifice. In 1 Samuel 15, 22-23, it says this, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to His voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission better than offering of fat rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. And in Psalm 51, it says, you don't desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit and repentant heart, O God. So what Hosea is trying to do is get us to, to evaluate. Repent and turn to God. To seek Him out. God never moves. God's the same today as He was 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years ago and will be in eternity. So who moved? And where do you stand today? Heavenly Father, as we look at Your Word and thank You for the, the call to us to examine our hearts Examine what idols are, are we harboring onto? Are we worshiping? What sins are we festering in our hearts and allowing to overtake the fields of our, our lives? God, as we humble ourselves before you this morning, as we sit here in your presence, knowing that you are an almighty God, an awesome God that knows everything about us. Even though they called out, may the rocks fall on us, the hills cover us. Lord, there is no place we can hide from you that you can't save us from. Speak to our hearts today, O Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.